We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 389. Our guest today is the COO of GSS The Agency, which is a social media and marketing agency that's really dedicated to serving the equestrian community specifically. She has always been involved in horses and found a way to combine her love for horses and marketing to really be a big part of the industry. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Caitlin Christofferson. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Bethany. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor. I've been being on your podcast for several years now. (laughs) I love it. That's so cool. Well, I am so happy to have you on and hear more about Grand Slam Social and how you got to where you are today. But first, tell me how you first got started in the horse world. So I'm not really sure where the obsession with horses came from because nobody else in my family had it. Okay, (laughs) yeah. And um, I think my mom, I have a picture, my mom like putting me on a pony at the county fair when I was probably six months old. Wow. from that point, it was just all I could think about. <laughs> so, um, so coming from a non-horse family, it was a little difficult um, because it can be if if you're not in the mindset of you know working with the animals and developing them, it can mm-hmm. be difficult to wrap your head around how much money it costs. So when I grew up, um, it was like very backyard. Our horses were in our front yard, actually, <laughs> but um, I started by volunteering at local uh, barns and stables and just every single weekend that I could from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and any time after school, I would go and muck stalls and I would get to ride horses and work mm. with them in return for that. And after about three years of doing that, my father finally realized that uh, the obsession was not going away. So he made a deal with a friend and that is how I got my first horse out of a pasture. And he was an Appaloosa named Buck and he was somewhat aptly named. And, uh, yeah, my dad built, uh, a small, um, shed and fenced in our Uh, like one and a half acre front yard. And that's how I started. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, you've clearly been passionate about horses for a long time now, and you've now built a career in the equestrian industry. Um, You are the COO of Grand Slam Social, um, which is for for those listening who who aren't aware, a social media and marketing agency dedicated to serving the equestrian community. So did you always plan on having a career in the horse industry or what did that kind of look like? How did you get to this point? Yes. So growing up, there were a couple of things that I knew. I knew that I wanted to have a career that could fund the horse lifestyle. 
And I knew that I wanted to do something that I was passionate about that I, you know, that I would wake up every day, uh, maybe not every day, but wake up <laughs> most feeling excited and, you know, having a, a purpose to what I was doing. And so originally I thought veterinarian, um, I visited several vet schools when I was in high school and then the, you know, reality hit a little bit. Math and science was not exactly my strong point. <laughs> so, okay, maybe not that. You're like uh, something else. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like I could have done it, but yeah, I don't know. But my, my strong points were always marketing and communications and writing. And so I thought, okay, well, I will study English literature and communications, get a well-rounded uh, college background. And then I bet somewhere, somehow I can find a way to align that with the horse world. <laughs> that was awesome. the general goal. <laughs> yeah. How did you find your job? So, so yeah, I stopped, stopped writing when I was between 16 and 23 and happened to, after college, move to Kentucky. I had the opportunity to move to Lexington and I thought, well, I thought, okay, so now I have this, you know, communications degree. I bet I can find something in Lexington, Kentucky. I'd never been there before, but it's horse capital of the world, oh, right? So great. I love it. And, there. Yes. And so I thought, I bet I can find a way to align my communication skills with horses there. So I moved up there and I had a few lucky connections. Um, like one of our next door neighbors ran a very reputable uh, thoroughbred sales company. And so I started off um, working hourly for him at the major Keeneland and Phasic Tipton sales, providing uh, the updates. So, you know, since the catalog has been published, this horse's half sister has won a big race or something. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Telling people that when they come to inspect the yearlings. And so through that, I was able to get an interview at Windstar Farm, which is now I think about 3000 acres. Um, and I was their marketing coordinator. They took a chance on me because I was so new to the racing industry. I truly didn't know the difference between like uh, a baby race in the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but at the time they were actually standing, uh, they had 23 thoroughbred stallions and one of them was Pioneer of the Nile. And it was the year that American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown. So I started like right at that time. And I was there for a couple of years, learned a lot, obviously, learned the difference between all of the different races, um, wow. learned a lot about the bloodlines. And when the Breeders' Cup World Championships came to Keeneland in uh, 2015, November of 2015, I met the girls who were independently doing the social media for the Breeders' Cup. And we just kind of stayed connected for uh, the next couple of years. I actually got out of the horse world. I had a really great job working for a NetJets company, um, you know, good benefits, normal hours, things like oh, that. Oh, wow. Yep. And uh, after I was in that, that role for about a year, the NetJets company, they said, 
we're ready. The girls from the Breeders' Cup social media said, you know, we formed a company over the last year. We have, um, and we are ready. Like we have the business now. We, we're ready for our first full-time employee. And we think like you're a good fit. And so I took a leap of faith and um, left, you know, left the job for a small four-person agency at the time. <laughs> and yeah, uh, wow. really once I, once I got there, um, you know, and I finally had the opportunity to work for the agency, which had been like a visionary goal of mine since meeting um, Shona and Molly, the co-founders, uh, once I was there, you know, I immediately set my sights on becoming an influential leader and partner in the agency. Mm. So cool. Do you feel like obviously now you've been outside the horse world and inside the horse world in a professional capacity? Do you feel like you would be so passionate about your career if you were not working in an industry like so close to horses? No, uh, absolutely not. And that was something that I've always prioritized, even if you, there, you know, my parents really wanted me to go for like a big corporate um, comp job role. Sure. And I just thought, you know, I can't go to work every day in market for Procter and Gamble and be marketing like soap or something. Right. I know. <laughs> Um, the, the jet marketing was pretty fascinating. Um, however, just, yeah, no, coming back into horses, it, it needed to be something that even if I wasn't necessarily making as much as I might be making at a fortune 500 company, that it still aligned with what I wanted to do and the vision that I had for my life. You know, the goal has always been to be able to work in a horse show at the same time. And I am a lot. Uh, and I'm doing that now. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Do you have like a, a pivotal moment or experience that sticks out in your head where the equestrian community or like maybe your involvement in it significantly impacted your career choices? I mean, do you feel like it was a big part of, you know, coming back to the horse world um, in in a working capacity that that just kind of like brought you back into the equestrian industry, what was that, what was that kind of like for you? Or was there a moment that, that kind of altered that? I suppose it was really just not necessarily because I, you know, my goals within the equine industry were a bit different. So yeah. one, I wanted to figure out a way to make money in the equine industry. And two, I wanted to be able to ride hunter jumpers, which I started uh, writing once I was in Lexington, you know, found a few friends who had horses and would take lessons occasionally and things like that. So there were like really two reasons that I wanted to come back to the equine industry. And I think for me, it, the biggest part of taking the leap to leave the corporate world and come back to a small agency in the equine industry was my opportunity to develop the agency and create the life in the company that I wanted, as opposed to just kind of working for the man my whole life, so yeah. to speak. 
Right. I, I'm, yeah, you were, you were saying that you also compete as an amateur, you ride in the hunters. Um, tell me a little bit about, because now you have a horse, tell me about Charles, how he came into your life and how he has kind of helped you start chasing down your, your competitive adult amateur goals. Yes. So the journey with Charles is <laughs> one I could talk about for a really long time. Um, but, you know, I'd been working in the industry for about five years until I was felt like I was financially ready to take on a horse of my own. And in that five years, I had seen so many beautiful thoroughbreds. I'd interacted with them. And I just thought, you know, I think people still need to see that the thoroughbreds can do this job and do it well. And so my goal, I got this idea in my head, like I'm going to take a thoroughbred and I'm going to make it like an adult hunter, <laughs> a three foot hunter. And um, that was like my guiding light. Yeah, it, it was difficult for sure. I got him during August, 2020. So during COVID, I just saw a video of him trotting and cantering around a ring. And I didn't really have guidance from a trainer. I saw, I knew he threw in some flying lead changes in the video. Good, um, those are good. That was a plus. Uh, but, you know, things were a little hectic at the time. I actually got him from New Vocations Racehorse Adoption, which is one of the most reputable, if not the most reputable, aftercare rehoming organizations in the world. So it it all moved pretty quickly. And I just, I took the leap. I could not have done it without my boyfriend, now fiance. And yeah, Charles came into our life and it has been a journey. So we have had him for about three and a half years now. And we took him from literally could not even do a cross rail to uh, doing our first national hunter derbies this wow, year. That's so cool. What is, what type of thoroughbred is he like? Because I know obviously there's a range. Is he take quite a bit to get quiet what's your kind of like preparation process for him so he's very quiet he only ran one race and he finished second to last um he won a hundred dollars in his racing career <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so he's generally very quiet it actually used to be a struggle for us to just keep the canter yeah uh, because that was just not his style. And, you know, of course there were occasions where he would be fresh. I mean, he was a three-year-old and, you know, we were at the time he was within Houston proper. So we weren't somewhere that had a ton of land and turnout. So he would get a little fresh, like out of the stalls and stuff, but he, yeah, overall he's very quiet and relaxed. Um, and is, you know, I trust children, even from the time he was three, four, trust children to just like be around him. He's, he's very like non-reactive generally. Mm. So yes, he's, he's on the quieter side. Yeah. Um, what was the process like building him up to, uh, like from cross rails to three foot? Transformative. <laughs> <laughs> for, for all involved. <laughs> for all involved. Yes. It was, it was tough. Honestly, I, you know, I look back now and there's so much that we accomplished, but being a very goal oriented person, it was always, 
you know, the goalposts were always changing. So it was like, first, we just wanted to get to be able to do two foot and then it was two six and then it was three foot and then it was derbies. Um, and when I started out, I did have a wonderful trainer who helped me give him a solid foundation. Um, but she didn't necessarily believe that he could do three foot and that if he could do three foot, that he could be competitive at it. So, you know, there was really my biggest support system along the way was my boyfriend who believed in us. And even though he doesn't know, he grew up uh, around the hunter jumpers, but he doesn't know a ton about them. Hmm. You know, he was my support system and and we had difficulties with um, soundness issues and things like that. So eventually we um, ended up moving him and giving him about six months off and uh, just kind of letting him be a horse. We did some like, you know, fox hunting and some trail riding out in the Texas countryside. And then we brought him back to a show barn a year ago. And that was when we moved up to the three foot. He was ready. He was prepared to do the job. And he, yeah, but in in between that time, you know, there was a lot of doubt, a lot of questioning myself. Mm. I find it interesting because the journey that I was going through also at the time also with GSS is, so I got Charles in September of 2020 in November of 2020, I was told that I was being made COO of GSS wow. and that I would be the pretty much sole leader um, while my co-founders took a step back to focus on other things. And so the journey was very symbiotic, I would <laughs> say, because there was also a lot of self-doubt um, and, you know, questioning myself and worry about taking on that role and running a company. Because one thing I had never really thought of myself as was an entrepreneur. Mm. So I, I didn't know if I could, you know, manage all of the things that you have to manage the budgets, the client contracts, the negotiating, the employees, the deliverables. I, you know, it seemed like a lot and, um, yeah, it's just, I think, the key is to have the vision, just kind of focus on what you picture your end goal to be like. And if the end goal changes, you know, that's okay. Because being a goal-oriented, ambitious person, goals generally change because when you reach totally. a goal, you set new ones. Yeah. And um, But I think you also have to learn, just like in the horses teach you, like working with Charles, um, you have to do things on their own time. Mm -hmm. Like when we first got him, I mean, he was not exactly excited about jumping. He would just like step over (laughs) flower boxes. Yeah. And, um, and so it takes a lot of patience and it takes just having the belief and the vision that you're going towards and making the adjustments necessary, uh, to get there. I don't know about you, but this time of year always makes me really hone in on that out with the old, in with the new, and just refreshing my closet, refreshing my stuff at the barn, and getting 
you know, new or maybe even just updated products and tack and just getting all my ducks in a row. So let me tell you a little bit about Equestrian Closet. Think of it as Poshmark for equestrian tack and apparel. It is such a great way if you are looking to try a new brand or get a new saddle and maybe you don't want to pay the brand new price tag, it really allows you to have this community with other equestrians and buy and sell your own products. You literally go on their website, you can upload photos and buy products, you can look for products, you can sell products. It's just a really great community. So for more information, visit their website at shopequestriancloset.com and you can get shopping or you can get selling today. Yeah, yeah, the adjustments are, and even just like the willingness to that you know that there's going to be adjustments, I feel like is also key, having that flexibility. Um, but I feel like you're in a position now where you are evaluating your riding goals and making some decisions around your next partner to continue to pursue those goals. So what prompted this uh, reevaluation? And what would you say are maybe some of your like non-negotiables when considering a new horse for purchase? So I have to say, and again, I go back to being the goal-oriented, ambitious, perfectionist. Um, it can be a blessing and a curse in life. You have totally. to learn. <laughs> but, you know, four years ago, the three-foot hunter seemed so out of reach for me. I was showing at the two-foot, and I thought, if, as adults, I had not ridden English. I had never jumped until I was 24, and it can, it's tough to pick it up as an adult. And so I thought, I, I don't even know if, you know, three foot is like the ultimate. Well, I, I made it to the three foot, mm -hmm. um, Charles and I together and now have done derbies and had success in the derbies with him. And I had the opportunity to try a few different things with my barn this year. And one of them was jumping and I, we went to the Split Rock Fort Worth show and I leased a fantastic, fabulous jumper who took amazing care of me. And I was like, wow, I still, as a child, I liked going fast. And I didn't know if that part yeah. of me still existed. Um, it turns out it does. So wow. I, so, you know, I was thinking if I can, continue progressing with my riding. I mean, why not shoot for a meter 10, meter 15, you know, something in the adults. And so that's, uh, so that's kind of how it has changed. And then also just, you know, giving Charles time off um, too is he's, he's done so much in his young life and he did get five to six months off a year and a half ago, but he could still do so much more and come back at nine and just be, I mean, he matures beautifully. And I think he's going to continue to do that. So it's also like, you know, thinking about him, prioritizing him, trying to get right or learn what I can from other horses, other partners, and then bring that back to Charles and what I very much see being a lifetime partnership for mm -hmm. us. Definitely. So, but as far as the non-negotiables, I will say, um, I think x-rays are very important. X-rays of everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. Also, there are just a few, you know, 
a must-haves, um, like lead changes, lead changes have to be there, you know, and having a, a willing, a willing brain and mm-hmm. attitude. It, we struggled a little bit with Charles there because he's not exactly the most, like I said, he's quiet. He's yeah. not exactly the most work motivated horse. Um, so there were a lot of days, especially early on where we had a lot of discussions about, yes, you're, you're going to work today (laughs) and, you know, you're getting all of the care, you're getting all the corrective shoeing and everything. Like, you know, it's, we know it's, it's not a physical issue. It's just, we need to, you got to put in your 30 minutes of work, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Motivation issue. So the motivation, the willingness to, to like be a partner, because I really had to coax that out of Charles a little bit, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at jumpers, are you more of a, um, like a kick ride? Do you like to be kind of carried around? Um, Do you like fiery? What's, what's kind of tends to be your ideal jumper ride? So I've ridden a little bit of everything and, you know, the fiery I like, I'm, I'm not, a big person. I'm five feet tall. So I don't have a lot of <laughs> leg down there. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it, it is nice when, um, the horse has a lot of forward momentum and you just have to manage that. But at the same time, I've learned so much. The, the horse that I competed with, he was not a kick ride. He carried himself beautifully, but, um, he was a bigger, you know, with bigger horse with a big stride. So he didn't necessarily need to be moving that quickly. And it, it taught me a lot about quiet riding, which I think is something really important for, you know, what I'm going to do, what I want to do long-term, mm-hmm. which is really continue to do the hunters at points and do the jumpers. I just think it's a beautiful s- skill to have, to be able to ride quietly and to be able to calm your mind, calm your body. And so when I'm on a horse like that, it really challenges me to do that instead of just wanting to see a distance and run to it. Definitely. I know there's there's always talk, um, especially those of us who balance riding and a professional career and um, just have a lot going on in their lives. But what would you say are some of the biggest like misconceptions around competitive riding and a successful full career that you may have faced um, kind of being a part of both? For misconceptions, I would say it's, it's probably more difficult than people realize. And I know that this is something that you discussed with, uh, your executive producer, Kelly Gordano, who is now a business strategist for GSS. And there it's a lot of dedication. It, it is a lot of, you know, not going on fancy vacations because instead you're spending two weeks at the horse show in the RV. Mm-hmm. That's our vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of not getting to do brunches and dinners with, with non-horse friends. It's, you know, not getting to go on all of the family vacation. So there is, there's just a lot of dedication and prioritization that's required to do both successfully. Definitely. Let's talk a little, a little bit of business with GSS. Um, In your role of COO, 
of obviously like a growing company in the equestrian space, you have a pretty good pulse on what's going on in the industry. So what predictions do you have about the job landscape in the equestrian world and maybe how that maybe that idea of having a career in the industry evolves over the next few years? I really think it's going to continue to flourish. Um, I actually am the co-host of a podcast called Amplify Horse Racing. And our mission, Amplify, is a nonprofit which is dedicated to bringing young people into the racing industry because it can be intimidating. Mm. And a little, you know, it's it's not like the thoroughbred industry is they're showing up at your college job fair. So <laughs> it's usually like, oh, I grew up in the industry or I right. knew someone. So, so we're really working on bringing um, new, fresh perspectives and people into the industry. And then on the hunter jumper side of things, I think the sport is continuing to grow. I mean, we saw a lot of growth during COVID. <laughs> um, horse prices are definitely not slowing down. So with that, it, it all becomes a big sponsorship and marketing machine. And with that, you need manpower. Mm-hmm. Definitely. For those listening who maybe aren't um, familiar with a role as COO, tell me a little bit about what you do, like what a normal day or uh, I feel like usually as an entrepreneur or having your own running a business, um, each day kind of looks a little bit different. But how would you outline (laughs) like a normal week or or maybe some kind of job roles that you're consistently doing? So I think the most important thing is first of all, having a team that you can rely on, um, a team that takes direction and that are self-starters and are um, efficient. My days generally look like I'm working in every part of the business. For example, later today, I'm leading a team status meeting um, internally, and then I have to go look at health insurance options for the new year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I also have to create some posts to uh, promote a new client that we have to help out my account director um, because, you know, they're all also managing like four to five different accounts at one time. Hmm. Uh, so it's it's stepping in to be hands on when I need to be, but it's trying to set my team up for success and it's trying to take care of them as well and enable them to do, you know, the best possible job and be able to work and be in a positive culture. Um, that's something that's really important to me is, you know, fair pay. Um, fair flexibility is, and also having like a positive work environment where you feel enabled to accomplish things and explore, um, and, you know, take ownership of big wins. So I just, you know, my goal is like, I sometimes, uh, told, told my team like for 2024, the goal was, okay, you guys, you know, bring the creativity and I will keep the business running. <laughs> but, yeah. but occasionally I, you know, for five years, I mean, I was tweeting, I was doing social media copy. I was in, living in Sprout Social, scheduling, mm. publishing, drafting for six hours a day. And, and sometimes I have to go back to that. Sometimes yeah. I have to do the very basic jobs. And sometimes I have to make really tough decisions uh, about the direction of the company and how to to best care for everyone and keep it going. 
Wow. Yeah, I love that. What would you say is something that you're passionate about in the industry that you few people either don't talk a lot about or don't know enough about? Well, it's thoroughbreds. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> but it's it's specifically it's how the hunter jumpers look at them and how they restart them. I what I have seen is and I continue to see this. I just heard something a couple of weeks ago. You know, the thoroughbreds are basically they come off the track and they seem to be a cheap solution for an adult or a kid who wants to ride with, you know, not the finances to buy a warm blood. And so an inexperienced person gets on a fresh horse off the track and it's like zero plus zero is not going to equal 10. I think the hunter jumper barns, like they have to get used to, okay, you need to bring the horse in. You need to have them totally evaluated. You need to, you know, find the right chewing program, the feeding program. They need to be pessoa'd. They need to learn how to use their bodies correctly before they ever get an inexperienced rider on them. I just, I hear so many issues of, of just inexperienced people getting onto thoroughbreds and and then it's like well of course it didn't go mm -hmm. well because you have a young horse that has never really had anybody on you know when they have people on their backs on the track there's like no leg pressure there right so I think it's just the care and the way that we develop the horses to be hunter jumpers it's you know they can okay, are they going to be a meter 10, meter 15 horse or a three, six performance hunter? Likely not, but they can be a two foot to a three foot, a solid horse for their entire lives. And they can be competitive too. I mean, Charles, you know, he has placed, he's done reserve at a shows in the baby greens. He has done a uh, 12th in the regional championship, amateur derby, uh, this past September. So um, they can be very competitive, but it's all about uh, taking the proper time to develop them and get them used to the style of riding that warm bloods are bred to. Mm -hmm. have. Totally. I love that. Yeah. I think, I, yeah, I think people, people may talk about thoroughbreds, but I think also, I think you bring up such a great point kind of an extension of that is that really taking the time and and for a lot of thoroughbreds especially who were racing that's like kind of the opposite of the upbringing that they had um it was really just kind of go 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 from the get-go so giving them that time to even just like mentally decompress too and be horses like you were saying before I think is so important yes well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I think what you do is so inspiring. I think it's so cool that you've kind of experienced this full circle moment of, you know, being out of the horse world, missing it, coming back to the horse world. And then now, you know, both as a professional and as, you know, an amateur rider, I think that um, it's so cool to be, I know for me, I could never imagine not being in so many different facets of the horse world. And so it's so fun. I, I know there, I know there's plenty of others like us, but it's, it's fun chatting with a kindred spirit in that way that loves the, you know, the business end of the industry and also just, you know, can't get out of the barn. <laughs>
Absolutely. Thank you so much, Bethany. It, this was a wonderful experience and I'm so excited to uh, share this with everyone. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.